Hi, I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Paul Webb. He began his career at a famous zoo that specialized in captive breeding programs for rare species. After eight years, he left with the conviction that captive breeding has no role to play in the conservation of species or habitat. He worked for the ruling family of a Gulf state for many years, turning half the country into a wildlife reserve and looking after the largest herd of Arabian oryx in the world, which was by then extinct in the wild. He organized and funded numerous projects all over the world to preserve the rare flora and fauna and participated in field work to secure the habitat of numerous species. Under the name A.P. Wolf, he produced a book on the wildlife and environment of the region for the ruling family. He spent four years in remote and forbidden zones of the southern Maldives, writing and producing a book on the environment for the president's office of the Maldives. Now he's a full-time writer and researcher specializing in the conservation of habitat and wildlife having recently published his latest work, The Second Level of Extinction, Wildlife Conservation, and the Myth of Captive Breeding in Zoos. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. Second, thank you for being in the program. That's great. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so today we were going to talk about the Mauritius kestrel. Can you start, yeah. before we talk about the kestrel, can you talk about Mauritius? I don't think most people probably have any idea where it is, what it's like. <laughs> they, they probably don't. Uh, I've been there twice, um, and it's a remote island, sort of sandwiched between Africa and India in the Indian Ocean. And folks don't get there much. Um, you know, they really don't. And it's a gorgeous island, and it has everything what the tourists want, but it has nothing what the environment and the wildlife want now. It's just been decimated unfortunately absolutely how how big is the island the island's about five times the size of the island i live on so it's quite a substantial island it's um oh i I wouldn't like to give you a figure of it but it's 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 a big island and it used to have a lot of habitat and now all it has left is the beaches and deplenished forest i mean this this poor island since 19 since about the 1950s has lost 98 percent of its forest and it was one of the only islands in the indian ocean that had this unique forest has lost 98 percent of it only two percent is left it's absolutely tragic and what sort of forests uh were they i mean is it is it well well tropical forests and and slowly but surely in the colonial times it was replaced by you know, the required crops and the required sort of types of forest. So most of the indigenous and endemic forest land is not there. It's just not there anymore. It's gone. It's completely gone. There's only 2% of it left. And that 2% is probably introduced um, forest. Yeah, it's tragic. And who who are some of the uh, wildlife who who lived there previously? Well, yeah, you're talking about some very rare and unique animals like this, the Mauritius kestrel that we're discussing at the moment, which actually arrived on the island five million years ago. And uh, obviously linked to Mauritius is um, some of the other smaller islands where the dodo died out. Um, It's still debatable whether the dodo ever lived on Mauritius but it certainly lived on Reunion and a few other little islands around there. And, you know, so that's, you know, if, if, if we're going to say something about 
nature, we say dead as a dodo. And dead as a dodo is Mauritius, really, at the moment. Despite being a, a beautiful, in human terms, a beautiful place to go. Because it's got beaches and sunshine and the Indian Ocean and everything else. But uh, for the environment and the wildlife and everything else, it's a disaster. Absolute disaster. Um, so should we should we move to the Mauritius Kestrel yet? Or do you want to talk any more about either the forests or the wildlife of the forest first? Well, yeah. Well, you see, the Mauritius Kestrel developed to live in forest lands. It, it's quite unique. Um, it looks like a sparrowhawk, and sparrowhawks hunt through trees. That's what they do. They're not open ground birds. And the Mauritius Kestrel uh, uniquely developed like a sparrowhawk to hunt in the forests that it was used to from five million years ago. And so it's much smaller than what we might understand mm. a, a Kestrel is from Europe or the USA. It's some three inches shorter over its wings, over its body length. Everything else is much smaller and it has a much broader wing um, designed to allow it to cut through the forest lands. But without those forest lands, it's had to learn to pretend to be like a European kestrel and hover because the Mission kestrel doesn't hover like European and American kestrels. It navigates through the forest lands to get its prey. But without the forest lands there, it's learned to hover. And um, that's quite tragic, really. Um, and 90% of their diet was made up from forest geckos. But with the loss of the forest, they've, they've had to adapt themselves to take small mammals and insects. And as as we'll discuss, I hope in a minute, it's not positive adaptation. Um, they they lay three to five eggs, which are laid in natural cavities or were, and then incubated by the female for about 30 days. The chicks fed in about four to five weeks. Um, but the deforestation and the widespread use of DDT in the 1950s and 1960s, plus the introduction, introduction of invasive species like cats, mongoose, crabby macaques, just led to a sudden collapse of the small population in the early 1970s. But they were never a numerous species. Even in pre-colonial times, it, the population could have been as few as 200 breeding pairs. So they're obviously a very specialised um, bird of prey. So before we go on, can you can you talk for just a moment for for somebody who say lives in a city? Yeah. Um, can you and and may not have observed um, other kestrels hovering? Could yeah. you talk about those two different styles of hunting? Yeah, well, the the, the normal hunting behavior of the kestrel is to get up high and hover in, in, in a decent wind. And they are really expert at hovering and then spy out its prey down below. Like but a mouse moving through the meadow or something. Yeah, or mostly more lizards like sand lizards and things like that. That's That's generally what they would go for rather than the mouse um but yeah any any small thing that's moving and, the, and they'll spy it and then just come down and they they actually can um 
use the sun. They specialize in that. They use the sun to block out their their silhouette in the sky. And it, it's quite incredible. But the the the, the shape or the interesting thing about the Mauritius kestrel is it didn't do that. It just hunts through the trees like a sparrow. It's amazingly um, agile at going through the trees and everything else. But now, um, and it had special, its wings were much broader and rounder to be able to do that. But now it's been forced to hover because the forest land's gone. So it's had to adapt and it has adapted, but that's not really a good um, development. So before we go to the, to the captive breeding program, um, can you talk for a moment? You've said twice that that's not a good development. And I, um, I fully recognize that, um, when, when a creature has adapted to a certain niche and then a lot of people like to say, well, you know, the rule of evolution is adapt or die. So, yeah, yeah. I so, agree. Yeah. so can you but but still it is adapted to that specific niche so can you talk about why that why this this adaptation is not a good thing well yeah it's 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 when when you discover it it's screamingly obvious because um when it was feeding on the forest geckos and the trees it didn't need to regurgitate the pellets that birds of prey need to regurgitate when they have feather bones or anything else because the geckos were easily digestible. But now it has to produce these pellets because of the change in the habitat. And that is killing them off. It, they, can't, they can't cope. Um, they're dying from um, impactation of, of their guts because they can't cope with this new diet. So they've adapted to it, but they're... Their, if you want their crop and their gut hasn't adapted to it and that is the reason for their decline now after the conservation program which was fairly successful but nobody thought this through you know that if if we let the forests go but they they made the Mauritius kestrel the flagship of their conservation effort and they did save it. I, I, I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, they lost 98% of the forest and they lost 120 endemic species. Unrelated to that, you know, because they let the forest die. And now the Mauritius kestrels, which they supposedly saved, are dying because they can't take the impactation in their guts from this new diet. They have a fact of adaptive. So they didn't really think it through, basically. So let's go back to the conservation program itself. And yeah. can, can you walk us through the history of that? Mm. Like we, we go back to 1973, 1974, when um, a team arrived in Mauritius. And part of that team was from Jersey Zoo and Peregrine Trust or Peregrine Funding uh, the USA, and they came up with a, um, a census which said there were only four or five birds left in the world, 
and we had to bring them into captivity or otherwise they're going to just die. Um, and I, I think you must remember when we talked about the Californian condors, um, they, the, the, the US Fish and Wildlife Service came up with a similar catastrophic um, um, result of their census of the Californian condor. And this happened in Mauritius as well. And it, it just wasn't true. Um, their census was completely flawed in the Californian condor and in these birds. Um, so 1973-74, they said there were only five left. But then this is where this Mauritius Kestrel program becomes the flagship, the actual um, flagship of the conservation effort from zoos, because by 1993, 20 years later, they claim to have introduced um, a total of 331 kestrels back to the wild in Mauritius. Which sounds great, it really does. But it's, it's what I would say to you, Derek, they, this, this information is in their publicity blurbs and, and, and their glossy brochures. But when you go into the scientific papers, which are hidden away on obscure sites on 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 uh, on the internet you 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 find a very different story so you know I, I i looked at their figures and i think the most revealing thing i found was that um an independent team went um into mauritius in 1985 after this was claimed as the biggest success in zoo conservation and they had no relationship to any of the other people involved in this conservation project. <clears throat> and their estimates were totally different. Instead of five birds, they found 50 birds. And they described surviving kestrels as having a healthy productivity and density, but limited by habitat. Obviously, 98% of the forest disappeared. And their survey revealed that the wild population had increased from five birds in 1973, when they took those five birds into captivity, to 31 birds in 1986. And this has been that, that that was achieved without any additions or re reinforcements from the captive breeding program. And then we have to look at their figures. They say they reintroduced 331 kestrels back into the wild in Mauritius between 1983 and 1993 from the captive breeding program. But when you look at that captive breeding program, only one third of those birds were actually bred by captive birds. The, rain, the remaining two thirds were hatched from eggs that had been removed from wild nests. So, because if we strip away the 200 kestrels, which have been taken from the wild as eggs or young, from their claimed 331 reintroduced birds, then we're looking at a very poor performance from their captive breeding program, with a production rate of less than 10 kestrels a year over a 10 year period. Even more disturbing is that the removal of so many eggs and young birds from the wild population over that 10 year period is an extremely powerful indication that the wild population was still thriving and self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. The 
negating the need to take them into captivity in the first place. So what were they doing? There was a path that there was a good population of these birds left. And there was no reason to take them in captivity. None at all. So how how much so i i have no problem spending essentially infinite amounts of money to protect or help endangered species become more to to, to increase the populations of of native species yeah um having having said that do you know how much basically was spent on this program and the reason I'm asking is because I'm wondering, since 98% of the forest was destroyed, yeah. um, could could the money have been spent on protecting or improving habitat instead? Yes, it could have done. I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure about some money that's been spent here. I I I can flash that out and find it out, but I I suspect it is million upon million. And it has ended up with um, a total loss of the forests in Mauritius. Uh, 120 species, endemic flora and fauna, have disappeared. But we have a few Mauritian kestrels left. And this, to me, uh, it's like watching a tree being felled. I think I've said this before, grabbing a leaf and claiming that you've saved the tree. You know, the, the total environment has been destroyed because all of the investment has gone into saving the Mauritius kestrels. And, you know, to be honest, Derek, if you'd given me $5,000, I could have gone out there to Mauritius and I could have made a, a, a captive breeding program for Mauritius kestrels. But... I wouldn't have made a big public thing out of it. I would have said, look, save the forest here. This is what's important. It doesn't matter if you save one one um, um, shining species. You've got to save the whole habitat. And, and this is the fault. This is the, the really bad thing that it focuses all the financing and all the attention on one species. And the rest just go by. You know, and this this is true of the blackfoot ferret and many other creatures that, that we've looked at. You know, I mean, just just one little point. You know, with, with this captive breeding thing in Mauritius with the kestrel, is another independent survey went in there, and they they went in to estimate the productivity of wild kestrel nests that had escaped detection by the original captive breeding team. And it's a damning indictment because they found that unrecorded nests were more numerous, were numerous enough to have made an important contribution to Kessel's recovery. And they reached this conclusion by comparing the numbers of Kessel's that they found were not ringed, as all captive bred or harvested fledglings had been ringed by the original team before they were released. And they found that over all the years and sites, there was a greater proportion of unringed birds than ringed birds. 
Now, that means that the undetected wild birds were producing far more new recruits to the population than the captive breeding and harvesting programme, which made it redundant, if not destructive. So what, what did they think they were doing? But they won medals and awards for this programme. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> so you you talked about them taking eggs from wild nests and yeah. that's yeah. a um what what a proponent of their program would would respond to that is that birds double clutch that if you take an egg oh, yeah <laughs> they will produce another egg yeah, and that's... so that you're not actually stealing an egg because yeah. because one would be there to replace it that wouldn't have been laid otherwise yeah so can you respond to that yeah i can it's it's like a, it's it's um it's not a wise thing to do um you know when when you do this double clutching or whatever you want to call it 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 actually decreases the fertility of the eggs in a in 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 a, well, I would have a quite normal progression because you get a bird like the Californian condor it only lays one egg every two years, right? So then in San Diego Zoo and other places like that, they're getting it to lay four eggs every year. So it's eight eggs compared to the one they would normally lay. And I'm afraid it just kills the birds off. They, they, they can't do it. It's just totally wrong, you know? It causes um, so many problems in the bird. You know, if, if you force a bird that normally produces one clutch of eggs per season to produce multiple clutches in that season, it reduces the quality and fertility of the later clutches. But it also seriously impacts on the health of the female bird. And that, that type of multiple clutching leads to a deadly condition known as adenocarcinoma, the oviduct, which is common in poultry, but it's never been known in birds of prey, ever. That is, until the team, the captive breeding team, forced the captive and wild motion kestrels to lay multiple clutches. And I've got the testimony of a, a, a pathologist in England who examined the dead malicious kestrels. And he said that the occurrence of two examples of this disease of the overduck does not augur well for the future of this endangered species. So it, and it causes salpingitis and it's just not a good idea. Um, and, and why do it? What's, what's the hurry? You know? You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, of you know female dogs at puppy mills and how they're forced to have a lot of babies and it destroys yeah. their health and i'm yeah, also thinking exactly of yeah um my niece is a doctor of traditional chinese medicine and yeah. she um she says a phrase that's that's in use in china yeah. is for every baby a woman has, she loses one tooth. Yeah, yeah. And because yeah. Of, because of the depletion of calcium, or you know, they, yeah, yeah. so yeah. the point is that I mean, having having a baby or laying an egg 
yeah. is a significant investment of energy on the mother's part. Yeah. And yeah. if they're only supposed to, to, to lay three eggs and you force them to lay six eggs, yeah. of course that's going to affect their health somehow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what they were doing, the, the, the captive breeding team, um, and they were doing it with the wild kestrels, which supposedly to them didn't exist anyway. But you've got to say, if they got 200, 200 eggs and chicks from the wild, then they must have existed because that means 100 billion pairs, doesn't it? You know, so, you know, it's like, but yeah, I, I, as they, they, they went overboard with this. They weren't only double clutching the wild and their captive birds. They were actually, um, I, I don't know what you would call it, they were taking away the egg. An individual egg 24 hours after it was laid to force a female to lay another egg. So in, instead of like three eggs, she was laying eight eggs. And then she disappeared. She died, obviously, you know. And, and I'm thinking, so they're bringing those wild eggs into captivity to breed the birds. And they should have just left them where they are. <laughs> you know, it's like madness. So I think one of the things that's that's central to all of the interviews we've had is the yeah. um I I think both of us recognize again the absolute importance of saving individual species um yeah. but the importance especially of protecting habitat Oh wait before we go there yeah I want to talk about another concept um, called extinction debt. Yeah. And do you do you know what I mean by that term? I don't know that term at all, Derek. Okay. The term is that there there is currently in many places in the world something called an extinction debt, which is you have species who are still alive, yeah, but their habitat has been destroyed such that they're basically hanging on at the edges. So if, if humans disappeared tomorrow, yeah, um, species would continue to go extinct for a, a, a time because there are some species who, who whose habitat has been so destroyed that there are still still more of them hanging on than the habitat can support. Yeah. But the habitat they're living in is so marginal yeah. that so let's talk about that for a moment. Just the uh, the lag between when you destroy the changes that can. Another way to say this is to sort of repeat the story that you were saying about how hovering is causing them to change their diet. I mean, the, the changed habitat changes the diet, which then leads to, <coughs> then leads to further deaths. So I think, I think that that another way to say this is that when there were big fights in the United States about old growth um, logging and the spotted owl as yeah. a sort of representative of the old growth, yeah. The right wing would circulate pictures of a spotted owl sitting on a Kmart sign or sitting on a Walmart sign yeah. and say, look, they can even go into a city. Yeah. But 
I took that the opposite way. It's like their yeah, habitat is so destroyed that <coughs> someone is having to go live in this marginal habitat. So I guess that's what I'm getting at is, is can you yeah. talk about the yeah. effects of moving species to marginal habitat? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a bit here um, where um, the, the, the original captive breeding team um, um, have published a paper saying that how wonderful is it that the Mauritius kestrel has been able to adapt and become a, a bird that now can live with humans and can hunt out of the forests. Um, and they're trying to make this sound very, very good. But actually, the bird can't have, hunt out of the forest. And what it picks up out, out of the forest is very bad for it. So it's not good news. But the, the captive breeding team are trying to portray it as that. So oh. that I think that's a very classic example of that. You know, I really do. It, it, it's it, it's they're claiming that they they've got a success because the birds have successfully moved from forest to this depleted habitat like you say a road sign or a, a mcdonald's sign or whatever but that's not good news it's not good news because it's killing them because the, the diet they're getting now is actually killing them the population dropped um there's a report from the independent, um, the, the IUCN specialists, and, and the population crashed by over 400 birds in the last couple of years. And that's simply because the diet is killing them. They, they, they moved from the rarest bird in the world um, quickly. In, 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 they were the rarest bird in the world in 1973. In 1983, they were the most successful reintroduction in 1993. Um, they they were it, but by 2003, half the population was dead, and it's because of the diet, because the forest wasn't there anymore. And how cool it had been to save the forest rather than the bird, because the bird, as we see, as the figures show, the facts show, the bird survived all that, and it wasn't. It wasn't preserving the bird. They should have preserved the forest. That's what they should have done. So can we can we talk about that? Okay, you don't know. I don't know if you want to go into why the emphasis on captive breeding versus saving habitat, or or not, or or do you want to just talk about? I don't think people can talk often enough about the importance of saving habitat. No, I don't think they can either. It's it's just absolutely crucial. It's essential, you know. It's what I said, you know, you, you watch an oak being felled and you grab a leaf and say, well, I've saved this tree. Well, no, of course you haven't. You know, you've got a bit of it, but that bit cannot survive. That bit will not transmit. That will not come down to us in thousands of years' time. You've got to save habitat there. You there's no point in isolating a, a a glossy species and saying, right, we're going to save this. We're going to invest, I don't know, how much was it? 10 million, 20 million, 30 million? I don't know how many dollars. We're going to save this bird. No, save the forest. The bird will save itself. It will. I know it will. 
The facts show that in this case. They found more unring birds than ring birds. The ring birds came from captive breeding program. The unring birds came from the wild birds, the wild population, and they were surviving. And I, I remember going to the Seychelles um, many years ago and going to um, that beautiful forest, uh, which is preserved for all time on, I um, can't remember the name of the island now. It's one of the smaller islands off the Seychelles. And it's the only place where uh, the Seychelles um, double coconut palm grows, the um, Coco de Mer. And I saw all of the rare Seychelles birds in there because that forest has been preserved and no one can touch it. And they didn't try and save the birds, they preserved the forest 50 years ago. And all of the birds, all of the rare insects, all of the rare lizards, they're all still there because they preserved the forest. How, how are you going to take one, one, one tiny little element out of an entire ecosystem spend millions of dollars on that and say, right, we've protected the ecosystem when it's been completely wrecked, 98% of the forest land gone. What's, what's the point? There is no point. I think economically it probably, um, I mean, if, if you value the uh, economic system more than you value wild nature, it makes sense because, because you the land is probably worth more than the money they spent on yeah. on the conservation program you know if you're going to put in a hotel you're going to make a lot more money oh god yeah and, and, and you can just now you know that's just a little tithe yeah it's all about hotels and golf clubs and everything like that and you and you can go up into the the mountains there and you can have a look at Mauritius Kestrel but it's it's trained to your core. They whistle it down. And how dangerous is that? Because, of, you know, there's there's a lot of Mauritian kestrels that are disappearing today and they're being trapped by animal dealers to sell to people all over the world who own them. And you just whistle them down because that's what they got used to from the captive breed program. You know, it's it's outrageous. <laughs> So how, given that habitat is being destroyed at prodigious rates, yeah. I was just talking to some people yesterday who asked me, um, somebody asked me what was the, what, whether I thought climate change or habitat loss was the greatest threat to wildlife and I looked up a, a bunch of studies or I looked up a couple studies on it and the the, the sta pretty standard studies are that um the the threats to habitat I'm sorry the, the threats to wildlife yeah. about 50% of it is habitat and then 50% yeah. is everything else split between yeah. between direct killing like catching them or you know fish catching fish or something um Toxics, uh, global warming, I think was a was a was a threat to like five or six percent of species. Yeah. Anyway, so the habitat loss is always the big one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's, it's just, you know, uh, I, I think the, um, I'm thinking about prairie dogs in, in America, in North America, you know, and, and the population has fallen by 99% and the habitat has fallen by 99% as well. They've got 1% left of what they used to have. And so, you know, what you, what you can do if you want to save prairie dogs, and, and they're trying to save the black-footed ferret, but that is a restriction on them as well, because they're dependent on, on, on the prairie dogs. So you've reduced the animal's habitat by 99%. You've left it with 1% of its lifestyle. What do you think is going to happen? It's not going to end well, is it? <laughs> it's just well, I think, about, I think about this a lot when people say, so, gosh, what can we do to save salmon? Yeah. And when somebody asks, what can we do to save salmon? They're not really asking, what can we do to save salmon? What they're asking is, what can we do to save salmon without stopping industrial logging, without stopping industrial yeah, fishing, yeah. without removing That's dams, yeah, yeah. without changing, without stopping yeah. global warming, and without stopping... Yeah. Generalized murder of the oceans. And, and so that's, where, that's where the zoos move in with this conservation bullshit and say, yeah, we can save this animal. We can do this. We can do that. And then millions of dollars are spent on not saving that animal. And the, the, the environment, meanwhile, just dies off. And then they're left with all these um, strange creatures in their menageries, you know, it's just like, what, what's going on? I mean, with, with the Mauritian kestrel, I mean, just to give you one little classic example of how these people operate in, in the zoo conservation world, they brought the last five into captivity um, in 1973. And in 1976, they managed to breed one. And then either them or their workers, whoever they employed, went round and gassed them with DDT. And DDT was the second biz- biggest killer of the Mauritian kestrels in the world. But they actually sprayed the area to keep mosquitoes away from themselves as humans with DDT, and all six birds died. And I was like, really? <laughs> That's not really acceptable, you know, and and things like that. Just like I don't know, <laughs> you know, that, that that's just mad. And then because they lost the six captive birds they had, one of them in captive, they went straight to the wild, took another six in, and they killed them later as well. And I, I, no, um, it's not. Not, not for me. It really isn't. So I think the the take home point here. We have about ten minutes left. Yeah. And I I think that the take home. I think the three take home points. If I'm hearing you correctly, the three take home points that you are making are <coughs> uh, one preserve habitat, two preserve yeah. habitat, and three oh, preserve God. habitat. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's as you know, and as you introduced, I spent a lot of time in the Maldives. It's four years with Christine, and the habitat was still untouched. But I wouldn't go back there today, Derek, because I'd just be heartbroken. 
because I've seen what's happened to it. You know, it's just been destroyed. It's just gone. And all the amazing creatures that I met there and the bird life and the environment, it's all gone. It's all gone. Just gone. And, and, and the, the, you know, the, the zoos are taking up an enormous amount of financing and, uh, and getting involved with conservation. But they're not doing anything. It's just everything's dying. You know, they, they don't really do anything. They don't. It's awful. Sometimes we we hear um, zoos will oftentimes present themselves as Noah's arks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and um, I have a critique of that idea. And do you have do you have a critique of that specific idea? I do. do yeah, because. What they're doing is, yeah, it, it's the ark. They're taking the animals into the ark while the world is dying. But they can't put them back into that world, as we've seen. I've seen with every single case, even Chavosti's horses, Mongolian wild horse, which is, again, one of the most supposedly one of the most successful reintroduction projects in the world. It's absolutely founded. It's gone. It just doesn't exist anymore because they did it all wrong because they're trying to put animals back into an environment which doesn't exist anymore. That's never going to work, is it? And that's the whole concept of Noah's Ark. That's why I'm against it. You know, one of the zoos I used to work for called itself Noah's Ark. And I was like, really? <laughs> I want to see this work then. <laughs> and it never did. It never did and never will. You've got to preserve the habitat. There's, that's it. You know, there, there is no captive breeding and all of this nonsense. I mean, San Diego Zoo is, is generating over $400 million a year because they're supposedly in conservation. And that's mostly donated money. Now, if you could take that $400 million and put it into preserving environment, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I think you could preserve a fair amount of habitat every yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, $400 million, yeah. And I know zoos, small zoos in the UK, that are generating 23, 25 million pounds sterling a year. And, and 4% of that is going into habitat. The rest is going into captive breeding and it's all donated funds and they get government funds as well. And I'm just like, really? Environment is everything. We, I think we both know that it's it's where it is, you know. I mean, if, I they, if they push that money back in the 70s into the Mauritian environment, instead of the Mauritian Kestrel, we would still have. 120 species that have been lost to us. They've saved one, but I don't think they have saved it. I think it's gone. So I, I think, I think the place. So there, there's <clears throat> a a person whom I've interviewed a couple times, who, and I never can remember the word, but he he opposes generally what I believe is called reforestation. Um, yeah. 
and what he is <clears throat> in favor of. God, I never can remember the name, even though I've interviewed him several times, like afforestation or something. But basically, my point is that what he advocates for with forests yeah. is mainly leaving them alone. Yeah. And if you have a forest that was cut in 1912, yeah. um, you might have to take out a you know a single invasive species or two. But yeah. in general, a forest knows how to grow itself. Yeah, it does. And it's the same with this, that if you simply preserve the habitat, yeah. I think we need to trust that um, the Mauritius kestrel knows how to survive in the forest if you just yeah. leave the forest alone. Um, yeah, it, it, it's struggling simply because it, today, simply because it doesn't have a forest. But the, the people who introduced the captive breeding program, the zoo people, they let the forest be demolished and then tried to reintroduce it into an alien landscape. And all right, a few have survived, but it's not working because the majority are dying from this impactation of the, the guts and everything because they can't eat the food that's available to them. So they just didn't think it through, you know, in those terms. So I think I think you've been really clear with the point of what you're trying to get across. But can you can you sum up for people um, what you think should be done to preserve wild wildlife? Well, <clears throat> it, it's yeah, it, it's incredible to me that, that institutions and organizations can go to a, a, a remote island like this. And then put together a program to save one single species while the rest of the species are being completely and utterly destroyed. I just think that there is no point, you know, because the species you're saving, when you introduce it, it's going to be dead anyway, because that's part of the whole ecosystem. You, you, you can't isolate anything from the ecosystem. All that money, all that effort, all that time should have gone into preserving a, a, an ecosystem, an environment, you know, uh, the forests. It, it shouldn't have been spent on Mauritian casuals. And they didn't need it anyway. They were doing quite well. But this is the bullshit in the zoos. They say, oh, there's only five left. Meanwhile, independent team goes in, say, well, actually, there's 50. And as there were only 200 of them in pre-colonial times, that's not a bad population. You know, that's 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 um, that's a, a good population. And and uh, and what I would what I would have done, you know, if if, if someone had said to me, okay, here's the job, go out and save the Mauritius kestrel, I would have flown out there, looked around the forest, and gone, uh, no, let's save the forest. Don't worry about the motion casual. She'll be fine. Let's save the forest. But they didn't do that. They put all their effort and money into that. And and now that now they're broken. They are broken. It's failed. Uh, the IUCN has reduced uh, as uh, they changed the status of the motion casual so many times after the last few years. But in the last survey, they pushed it back up to highly endangered. So nothing's happened in 20 years, 30 years, apart from a lot of money that's gone to waste. Just crazy. So 
how can people find out more about your work? Uh, they can buy my book. And I hope next time we have a chat, we might talk about my book and talk about this whole situation in general, rather than one specific, you know, animal or or whatever. Um, because I think it is a very important issue because so much money is being diverted into these pseudo cons- conservation schemes, which are just a joke. You know, it's a joke. This one's a joke. And this is the most successful one on record. But it's a joke. And your book title again is? Um, second level of um... extinction. <laughs> second level of extinction. Yeah. Uh, wildlife conservation and the myth of captive breeding in zoos. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd love a, a good chat to you about that on the on your radio station as well. Okay, let's do that sometime. Yeah, that'd be so, brilliant. In any case, um, thank you again for your work in the world and in defense of the wild. And I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Paul Webb. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. <laughs>